I'm Jess. And I'm Ryan. And we are the The Iggy Parents. Welcome to episode 44. This is all about dog photography. So this is going to be an episode mostly from my perspective as a headshot photographer turned dog photographer or also dog photographer being a dog dad. Dog headshot photography? <laughs> sort of, Is that yeah. a niche? I mean, those are maybe the main photos that I do take of her as just straight, Close straight ups. on, like clothing model. It's true. I use the backdrops that we got for photography in a lot of our photos. Not so much the videos or the the TikTok videos or anything. And I might chime in from time to time as a wannabe photographer. And I've always had a passion for photography. And she's my photography assistant or photographer's assistant. So that's my two cents. This is going to be split up into a few different sections. So first, I want to talk about some tips that I have because of what I've learned as being a headshot photographer. But I'm going to try and gear the advice to other dog parents that are taking photos that they plan to post on Instagram. This might mean that you're mostly taking photos with your phone, but it definitely means that we're trying to post them online for people to find them. That's kind of the main focus of this episode. I then want to talk about what training you can do to get your dog ready for when you need to do a photo shoot with them. Then I'd like to talk about some more technical things for people that do have a DSLR or mirrorless camera that are thinking about how they can use that camera for their dog photography. And then we'll end off with a Q&A. So we are currently live on Instagram and TikTok. So at the end, we'll scroll back through the comments and see what questions people have had. We've had some questions on some posts that we've made and we'll finish up with that. Sound good? Sounds good. I love the irony that we're talking about photography in an audio way. I know. Yeah, (laughs) it's uh, I'm going to try and make my advice not super technical, that it's something you can listen to and take with you that you can think about in the future when you're taking photos as opposed to going to YouTube to get a photo tutorial that you can go back and reference. If you look around for advice on the internet, you're going to hear buzzwords a lot that I find to be very useful once you know what they are, but can be a little intimidating to get started. So these kinds of things are the rule of thirds or shooting at golden hour, how focal length can affect shutter speed, which is very technical and not something that someone shooting on their iPhone needs to ever consider. But if you are using a camera, if you're learning more about photography, these things can make sense. I'll have an example of my mistake in the photo shoot that we just did in the last couple of days. And and I can talk about why the photos didn't turn out exactly how I wanted and then how I turned it back around. But instead of those technical things, we're going to talk specifically about dog photography because we want to give practical tips to be able to get a better shot of your dog. You should be able to take a photo exactly how you dreamed and or exactly how you see it in real life. I think we should jump into the first tips 
that I think everyone can use no matter how you're planning to shoot. Unless, Jess, you have something else to add before we get into it. Um, I was just going to say it's like trying to take a picture of the moon on your cell phone. Yeah, that's a really good example. Other than the fact that I still can't even take a very good photo of the moon. <laughs> but <laughs> so we're not taking photos of the moon. We're not. No. Um, so that's getting off, off track that, That's an example of not <laughs> being able to take the photo that you imagined. But yes. I think you are going to be able to take a picture of your dog the way that you want. The first and most basic tip that I'm going to say is to make sure there is a lot of light. There's a couple of things that an automatic camera like your phone will do to try and compensate for there not being enough light. And the brighter it can be, the more that your photo will not appear blurry. Just remember that a lot of light, so whether that's open up a window or turn your back to the window so that the dog is being illuminated by the window, that will then give your phone or your camera the best chance of getting a sharper, brighter, clearer image. I think for me, I didn't know as much about lighting until I met you, until we started taking photos together. And even just photos of us as humans. If you take a photo of yourself in natural lighting, it's just going to be more clear. But when you get a dog involved with it, there's so many other factors because you've got to get them looking at you or you're trying to get them in a certain position. So I feel like being able to use natural lighting is so helpful and effective. And if you can take photos outdoors of your dogs, amazing. I think for me as well, like the cheap option, if you don't have anything, use natural daylight. It's actually amazing. I've learned a lot more just from you about how to position yourself and use natural light to your best advantage. Because we're talking about dealing with dogs, my next tip is to always take more photos than you think you need. This can be take a bunch of photos in a bunch of different positions. The other thing is because they are often fickle <laughs> and you can't have their attention for too long, you might think that you've gotten it and instead have gotten a blinking photo or where they were looking off or they're moving so it was blurry. The other thing is framing. So where you are, if you think that, oh, I know exactly what I want to use this photo for, and I take a photo of the dog filling the entire frame, and then come next month, I wanted to make a big announcement of something that I'm doing. For example, we've been releasing a bunch of products and we just had our giveaway with Doggy Bathroom. We had a bunch of photos of the dogs with Doggy Bathroom, so we could pick the perfect photo that gave enough space to show the product and the dog on the poster. If you've only got a shot close up of the dog or only far away and you can't crop in, this is going to limit what you can do with the photography in the future. I think as well, having like blooper photos is really great. <laughs> yeah. And same thing with taking video, like having B-roll, having the stuff that didn't make the cut is actually so funny to have on hand. So maybe you catch the dog with the tongue out. Maybe you catch with a funny paw up. And if you had just stopped once you thought you got the perfect photo, then you wouldn't have all these really cool extra photos. For me, that's what I like about the iPhone. And I know that this episode we're talking about professional cameras and, and stuff like that. But I love having iPhone live photo because then you can kind of pick the key, the frame. Yeah, the key photo key photo so that if you did catch a tongue out, you can kind of change where the key photo is and 
potentially get a really crisp photo that you didn't know you were going to get with a live photo. Yeah, I just think, take lots of photos. Yeah, using <laughs> that's a lot, big, great, the great live tip. Photos can give you some photos that you were not expecting to get. Next is about taking photos of your dog in an environment. So you want to make sure that there is what I like to call visual interest. So some photos are very simple and they're just of the dog and that's exactly what they're supposed to do. For example, Adelaide's headshot photo is just the dog on yellow, highlighted in white to make her stand out and it's just about her. But if you're trying to make a photo seem like it is in an environment, then you want to make sure that the elements in the photo are exactly what you need. So for example, if you're out at a park and you want to take a photo of your dog, it might be really nice to show that there's a tree in the background and the tree could then show, oh, it's spring or it's fall. And that can help inform what kind of environment you're in, what the season is, what time of year. It can make a throwback photo even more impactful. In contrast to a tree in the background, if you're not paying attention and you're just looking at the dog and making sure the dog is in exactly the right spot, there might be a garbage can directly behind your dog, right? You might only then remember the poop accident that you had if you have a garbage <laughs> can in the background. Or how you forgot poop bags or something. Yeah. The other thing about having these elements is that it can reward the viewer for looking at your photo closer and in more detail. I was going to say with more discernment. Yeah. If you can add depth to the photo, so show that your dog is near to the camera and there's a lot happening behind them, or if you can do training with your dog that we're going to talk about soon and you can get farther away from your dog, you can show how small your dog is. For example, if you have an Italian greyhound or a Pomeranian or something, if you have them right next to the tree, it can show the size difference. It's all about trying to make the viewer feel like they're there, right? A photo is a recreation of a time and place. Telling a story. Yeah, that's the kind of thing we're going for with our photos, unless you want to really focus in on the dog. Right. And like Ryan's saying, it doesn't just have to be clothes and accessories on your dog. It can be your dog in an environment with a really cool tree or maybe some brick or the stone on the ground, depending on what kind of a vibe you're going for, right? If you're taking city pictures or if you're taking country pictures or if you're taking indoor pictures and you have your dog on the couch, what could make your photo more visually interesting than just your dog sitting on the couch and bring variety to your photography while still staying within the same sort of aesthetic? Right. If they're on the couch, can you throw a blanket over the back of the couch and put a mug on the coffee table and light a candle and make sure that all of the lights are on and maybe are casting interesting shadows. Yeah, I think this is making me think of our product photography shoot. Me too. I was just thinking that. Where it wasn't just a water bottle sitting on the table with a backdrop. And because Ryan has made such an effort to create an interesting story, even just with a water bottle on a table, I think that those photos really pop and they work really well. And our last tip here for general photography is that brighter photos are almost always more eye-catching than darker photos. The example that I always go back to is uh, Marquez Brownlee, who's a YouTuber who does a lot of reviews, mostly of 
smartphones, but he does a lot of technology reviews. Has been for a few years, been doing a blind smartphone camera test. He gets people on Twitter and Instagram to vote in sort of a round robin of all of the most popular phones and see which has the best camera just using the automatic settings open the camera and press the shutter button and the most interesting finding from those is that iphones often try and take a more neutral looking photo that you can then edit to look really wonderful but some of the cheaper cameras will do more processing when you take the photo so that they end up being brighter and the brighter photo usually wins if they're close enough. And when you're posting on Instagram and Twitter, these apps, these services are going to do some sort of processing and the detail that you're going to get from a higher quality camera can sometimes be negated by the processing that Instagram does. So brighten up your photos. (laughs) And this can be bring more light in when you're shooting photography or in your photos app, go in and bring up the exposure. Right. Now, for someone, again, who uses a iPhone primarily to take my photos, brighter is not always better if you are taking a photo of something or your dog in direct sunlight. But then if someone is taking up the exposure or brightening the photo, it doesn't work. Why, Ryan? So you want to make sure that you maintain the detail in the photo. And when I say that, I mean, don't make the whites pure white and don't make the blacks pure black because if you look at your dog in person our dog in particular Adelaide is sometimes difficult to take photos of because she has white parts and because she has not black but very dark brown but when you look at her it is not like looking at a sheet of paper there's detail there's bumps on her noses that you on her nose that you can see if you look closely and if you bring the exposure up too far that becomes straight flat white so you want to make sure not to make it go all the way white so you can still see like the individual hairs or the contours of their face and body and legs same with the dark parts that you don't want it to be completely dark adelaide has a lot of blonde undertone being a seal and if it's too dark seal colored iggy thank you (laughs) not a real seal (laughs) if it's too dark that detail goes away i think that's one of my biggest mistakes i've made when ryan hands me the camera and i'm trying out his camera that i'll take the photo and be so excited because it's so bright and he'll have to you know tap me on the shoulder and go oh but it's too bright all that definition is gone sometimes on his camera not dark but the darker photo can be brightened and look way better so i think it's time for us now to move on to the training portion this might be right less fun right this is not what we're doing during the photo shoot but beforehand to make sure that your dog is in a good place to be able to take the photos that you're hoping to get and A lot of this is top of mind for us because we're realizing that Phoebe doesn't have this training. We spent a lot of time with Adelaide when she was really young and she got really good at looking at the camera, sit still, wait, and then she will be rewarded. But Phoebe has never really needed to develop that patience just because we've taken for granted how 
great Adelaide is at getting her photo taken. Also, Phoebe has never had our undivided attention. She's mm. always having to fight for attention because Adelaide has just always been in her life with us. So Adelaide had Ryan and I for a whole year before Phoebe came home. When we did photo shoots, it was just with her. She wasn't fighting to get the treat, fighting to get the reward. She just got it. So I think that Phoebe is dealing with a lot of sort of jealousy issues. We have to help encourage her to still be okay on her own. But I think that giving your dog a lot of attention like you would with training is exactly what you need to do for photos. Yes, your goal is to get this amazing photo of your dog, but ultimately it means that you're having this quality time. And if you don't get the perfect photo, it's okay. We often notice after a photo shoot that the dogs are really zonked. They're tired the same way that they would be from a training session. Right. And we have to make sure not to sort of let our own frustrations of the shoot out on the dogs because photo sessions are training sessions for our dogs and they just get lots of treats. We make it super fun and we try and make them as comfortable as possible. So my first tip is to get them to look at the treat. If you have a treat for them, you want them to be able to, wherever they are, look at the treat and not come for it. So this can, in training, look like a sit-stay. When I say training, I mean like outside the context of a photo shoot. I'm doing training three times a week for a month, and then my dog is ready for a photo shoot. You take the treat and most of the photos that we're doing is like the dog is the main character. Often on Instagram, we give our dogs personality and part of that personality can come out when they connect with the camera. So we will have a treat and I will bring it and kind of put it right directly on top of holding the camera in one hand and the treat in the other hand. Bring them as close together as possible so that the dog is looking right at the lens, kind of right at the viewer. But Jess had a good point when we were discussing preparing for this episode, that is not always ideal. So we had a photo shoot, a commercial shoot for Cabo Foods. A Canadian dog food company. Where they were trying to get lifestyle shots of the dogs where they were enjoying the product or playing with their pretend owner. <laughs> and they were not supposed to be looking at the camera the way that a regular commercial is. And it might not always be a treat. It's whatever like your target is. For us, treats work really well, but sometimes it's a toy. Sometimes I've seen people jingle keys or like anything that gets their attention. I crinkle a water bottle sometimes. That really gets their attention. Mm -hmm. And of course, you as the human can also make noise. But if you're making noise and you want them to look away from you, that's that doesn't work. <laughs> so having something visual like carrying a treat over or having a squeak toy or something like that helps you to send their eyes to a target as opposed to just the sound coming from you, them looking at the lens, etc. The next tip, sort of point 1A, I will say make your treats as small as possible. For us, we have Really enjoyed the Crump's Natural Mini Trainers. They say on the bag, 0.17 calories per treat. Some other treats talk about being low calorie and they're three calories, right? Right. So <laughs> We're working with small dogs here, so <laughs> low uh, calorie. Two reasons that you want to do that. One is that you don't want the dog to spend the time chomping down on a treat. You want them to be able to take it, swallow it, ready for the next one. The other thing is that you don't want them to get too full, either it being 
too many calories for the day or they just are like, nope, I'm good. I don't need any more treats. Thank you. Before the photo shoot is done, before you get all the shots that you were hoping to. Also, choosing a treat that your dog really, really likes. Because like we said, you want to get your dog comfortable. You want to have them motivated to look at a target. For us, we use the Crumbs Naturals because we have those in the house and it's in a bag and we don't have to worry about it. But if we have a really, really important shoot that we need to get their attention, we really like using cooked chicken because you can pull it apart and get it into tiny, tiny pieces and the smell really gets them excited. The next tip here is just to work on a few standard skills that your dog can learn, like sit, stand, down. If you can have those in place before the photo shoot, then you're going to be better off than just whatever your dog does naturally. So taking cues from your dog. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest thing. Like, listen to your dog. Don't force your dog into anything. I know that we've had some questions about how to get your dog comfortable. And we've said, yes, treats, praise, using praise is really good. Um, Not forcing them to do anything that they don't like. But another thing as well, don't go too fast. I think this is kind of like the same lesson we learned about nail clipping. Sometimes bringing out your phone or bringing out your camera, they start shivering or you point the camera at the dog's face and they look away. These are cues that your dog is not comfortable right now. Another thing as well is yawning. Sometimes dogs yawn when they're nervous. In these instances, just like we learned with the nail clipping, you got to go slow and maybe just the sight of a camera bring your camera out and have your dog sniff the camera. Have a treat beside the camera. I think just like taking it slow is a really good idea and just don't force anything. Yeah, that's great. That adds on to what I was going to say next about clicker training. So clicker training is a common tactic. Every time a clicker goes off, so a clicker just being a little handheld tool that makes a little (laughs) pop sound, every time that goes off, they know I did something that My human wanted me to, and I'm about to get a treat for that. You can look more into clicker training for yourself. Sometimes um, the clicker is not as practical for us just because we don't have it around. And instead of clicking, you can say yes as a like... Marker word. Marker word. Funniest thing is we were watching Jurassic World the other day, (laughs) and we realized that Chris Pratt's character was training the raptors with a clicker. So clicker training really works. It even works on raptors. So instead of a clicker, if you have a camera or if you have the shutter sound on your phone, or if you're going to be using a flash, that can be the marker. Yeah. So making sure that you only reward your dog with the treat when they are still or when they are sitting nicely and waiting and being patient. And again, that's what we're working on with Phoebe. Mm-hmm. We have not mastered that with Phoebe. Yeah. The biggest thing for Phoebe is, like Jess was saying, there's a lot of jealousy things where she is trying to get to us first. And when we bring a treat into the situation, it often results in jumping on top of each other. I think the funniest thing is a lot of people think that Phoebe is bigger than Adelaide now. And <laughs> yes. I think this is because Phoebe wants the treat, then leans in. Honestly, any photos of Adelaide and Phoebe together right now, Phoebe is leaning forward. It's because she's trying to get to the treat, but Phoebe is not bigger than Adelaide, at least not yet. <laughs> it's just a trick of the camera. The last tip here for training is a general rule. Don't expect too much from them. 
and don't expect it all in one sitting. Just like the nail clipping. If you can get a few photos, that's great. Like Jess was saying, for nails, if you've done one nail on a dog that has been nervous about it in the past, call that a success. Go for little wins. Don't expect too much from them. And you'll be in a better position for the long run. Because like Jess was saying, it can get to the place where when you pull out the camera, when you pull out the the Dremel or the nail clippers, they will run away. And then you got to start from from square one, right? You got to start with, oh, they're still willing to stay in the room with me, (laughs) right? That you don't want to get to that place. I think as well for us, we've started the girls sort of in their natural environment, whether they're sleeping on the couch or sitting on the couch, and we would take photos and videos. And then we worked them up to using backdrops. The next section here is going to be for people who are looking at a camera, either they're trying to get one or they have one that is a step up from a phone. So whether that's a mirrorless camera or a DSLR or even just a kind of point and shoot. So I have a DSLR, but also the Sony ZV-1, which is a a fixed lens camera, but it's got some more settings than just using the iPhone. So Ryan, for a noob here, what is DSLR? It stands for Digital Single Lens Reflect or Reflex, Reflect, one or the other. You can that up if you need to, babe. (laughs) And the, the mechanism that makes it be called that is that the light comes in the lens there's a a mirror in there at 45 degrees inside the camera that then bounces the light up onto another mirror that's angled at the same 45 degrees and then comes out the eyepiece and then a mirrorless camera does away with that and instead the light comes through the lens directly onto the sensor and it then either puts it onto a screen or they sometimes fake a viewfinder by having a little tiny mini screen in the the viewfinder. What makes you have the DSLR and not a mirrorless camera? When I bought this, mirrorless cameras weren't as good. Oh, okay. Mostly, like there wasn't as much available for them and or they were more expensive. So you were going to talk more about the DSLR. Yeah, so we have a question in the Q&A specifically about the camera that I have and why I chose it. So I'm just going to talk about a few technical things here. And if you are not interested in this, it won't be long. So just buckle in. (laughs) (laughs) I talked in the first section about making sure that there's a lot of light. And part of that is because you want to make sure that your shutter speed can be as fast as possible. So a dog that is running, you are going to get blur if your shutter speed is below say one over two hundredth of a second, maybe even one over five hundredth of a second. And the only way that you're going to be able to do that is with a flash that has high speed sync or go outside. The sun is then going to allow you to bring the shutter speed as high as you can so that there's not blur in the photos. Or the advice would be don't try and take action photos of your dog if you don't have good enough lighting Mm -hmm. indoors. You may have heard of the buzzwords that I mentioned in the beginning. So the rule of thirds, golden hour, and how focal length can affect shutter speed. These all relate to different aspects of photography. So the rule of thirds is about making sure your subject is off center from the photo because it then draws your eye around the entire photo. 
Um, this can be tricky if you're talking about a close-up photo of your dog because your dog probably will fill the entire frame. So many people meet our dogs in person and say, oh my God, they are so much smaller than I expected. And it's because they're often seeing them close up and their size doesn't come across. But like we were saying, if you're trying to be in an environment and you have your dog next to a tree, you could have the tree off to one side and the dog off to the other side. And that would then put the dog on the thirds of the photo and, and make it a little more interesting that your your eye looks at the dog and then up to the tree and maybe back around to the dog and keeps people looking at it a little bit longer. The rule about golden hour is, or not What rule, is golden hour? Yeah, the advice about golden hour is to try and shoot in the first hour or last hour of sunlight in the day. So sunrise or sunset and people call that golden hour because the sunlight does change color slightly. There's a scientific reason about refraction through the atmosphere. It can also be a bit of a softer light and it can fill in shadows, which is something else that you're going to try and do. So if you're getting this soft light coming directly from the side, that can be much more flattering than shooting at noon when the sun is directly on top and it can cast really harsh shadows and can make it difficult to expose correctly because there's such a contrast. So shooting at golden hour can just make your job a little bit easier. Also, Ryan has suggested to me really good weather for photo shoots outdoors is overcast. Yes. So overcast then softens the light. And when we say soften, we mean the light from the close side and the far side of the cloud filling in the underside of your nose and making the shadows not so harsh. Um, we've talked so much about light and going outdoors and what's the best conditions to take photos. But what else can you talk about to help people out with light that's not using natural light? We have two main things that we do for light inside. We have a video light or a constant light that we will set up and we set it up with a big soft box. So if you can search soft box, you can I was gonna <laughs> get say, a picture. What's a soft box, Ryan? Yeah, it's an attachment that goes on to your light, either, either your flash or your constant light. Um, and it softens the light in the same way that a cloud does to the sun. And then we'll use bounce flash. So we have the flash that we can attach to the camera. And the great thing about the one that we have is that it swivels around. So if you point it at the ceiling or point it at a wall, it then will bounce off of that and make the entire room brighter. And that can fill in shadows and make everything look more even and nicer for your your photo shoots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this really works well with photography. And I think that our first sort of effort with Adelaide's Instagram account was to get really beautiful photos of her. And this is Ryan's forte. He loves photos. But Reels, TikTok, it's all about video these days. People want to see those photos in action. So I think that having a constant light like we do with the softbox is so helpful if you're trying to take video. The last thing I'd like to talk about here is how focal length can affect shutter speed. So what I was saying about action shots that you want to make sure your shutter <laughs> speed is high enough. The other thing is that if you are zooming in your lens at all, you want to make sure that your shutter speed is at least two times 
what your focal length is. So the example I was saying about our product photography was that I did not have enough light in the room. So I had camera shake and it was a kind of blur that I'm not used to dealing with. And it just makes the photo not as crisp. And a lot of what we're talking about, like with light and making sure that your photos look good is about the crispness of the photos. To make it look more real. Yeah. That's like the big goal for us. Yeah. So our last section here is going to be our Q&A that I think we can do pretty rapid fire. These questions I don't think are going to need too much explanation. Yeah, you've kind of answered some of them already, Mm -hmm. but I want you to go into more detail. A lot of people have questions about editing. So let's start off with question number one. What program do you use to edit your photography? I use the Adobe Suite for all of my online media creation. (laughs) So that when relating to photos is Lightroom. Uh, Relating to touch-ups is Photoshop. We're recording this podcast on Adobe Audition. And... I really like Lightroom because of the auto settings. It does its best approximation of brightening and bringing up the saturation or whatever it needs for the photo. And then I can tweak it from there. And usually I bring up the shadows a little bit to not give it quite as much contrast, bring up some of the saturation, and then it's usually pretty good to go. So what would you use something like Photoshop for instead? Photoshop is really good at manipulating photos. So Lightroom is generally used for color correction and tweaking the lighting and light, which is possible in Photoshop, but I just don't like the tools as much. Honestly, there, there are other tools like curves and levels and stuff that I just have never found a use for. And so I have never looked into in particular myself, but Photoshop we use if we're adding text over something or if I need to edit something in the background. So if I need to cut the dog out, I'll do that in Photoshop. We'll use the wand tool and select the background or select the dog and then you can separate the layers and change the background color or put them in a completely different place. I've seen Ryan remove the leash from a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, another question, this is my own personal question here. How much of photography is about you taking the photo and your equipment and your lighting and etc.? And then how much of it happens in post? So I don't want to give bad advice. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but I have never posted a photo online that I didn't edit. Okay. Yeah. I don't think I've ever taken a photo and put it directly online. And that is just me that the the look that I like is usually brighter, more saturated, less shadows. I think everyone could get a closer approximation of what they're hoping for with editing that no photo is like beyond repair. You can save a bad photo with some editing. Yeah. Especially if we just go back to the technical part, if you're shooting in raw instead of JPEG photos. This is on your On the DSLR, yeah. There's a lot more that you can save. I often find I'll shoot in raw, load it in Lightroom. I'll do the auto function. And it's like, oh my God, that is way more conscious. Like the sky was completely white and now I can see the blue and the detail of the clouds that wasn't even there before. That's cool. Yeah. I Honestly, you said that and I'm like, I do edit all the photos we post, Mm -hmm. even from the iPhone. Yep. Like I will lift up the brightness. I'll lift up the shadows. I'll add more saturation. And sometimes on Instagram, there's that sort of magic tool or deluxe tool that's at the top. Looks like a little magic wand. So 
even on your iPhone or on your Android phone, there are tools that you can use. And there are tools within the Instagram app that you can do super simple. And you just kind of learn trial and error what looks good and what doesn't look good. Our next question is about which camera body and lens that I use. So specifically, I have the Canon 6D Mark II. So number six, letter D. I hate their naming system. The reason that I got that camera is because of the headshot photography that we were doing. I found that I wanted a full frame camera instead of a crop sensor. So it's just the size of the sensor in your camera. I had before a T5i, Canon T5i. And the biggest thing was to get the whole face in frame. I had to be too zoomed out on the lens that I had, which then sort of distorted the face. Do I love this camera for dog photography? Not exactly. There's a couple of things that I would love to change about it. One is that it's dang heavy. And Jess often has a problem with it. So My arms hurt when yeah. holding his camera. So I, I often have a problem with it because um, I got a battery pack to put on the bottom. Because it then has a, a shutter on the battery pack so that I can more easily take photos vertical. And then when you add the lens on it as well, that ooh, that really makes it heavy. And then add on to that, like we were saying, that you have a treat in the other hand and you only have one hand, then it then it's very challenging. Yeah. It <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's too much for this situation. Yeah. The other thing about it is the lens that I have is a cheaper version of the the classic 24 to 70. Um, the problem that I have with it is that it has some vignetting at the edges, um, which is darkening of the edges, which can be fixed in Lightroom, which is great. It's just a little checkbox, but I have to remember that. <laughs> right. So it's just an extra step because I have a third-party lens. But I do love that it is a zoom lens for the dog photography. I can't imagine trying to use a prime lens. It would take so long that you would lose their focus every time you had to zoom in or zoom out. So my question for you, Ryan, what would you want to buy to up our photography game? I've been quite content with our setup for a long time. I know adding the constant light was like a huge game changer for us. Mm -hmm. And we got one at Godox light that was really not very expensive it was 150 dollars. yeah i think yeah it's great and i think a good thing for us would be a higher quality tripod for like i said our very heavy camera that we have right now but also there are different tripods that set up much easier other tripods that have a latch at the top legs extend and you're done and you're good to go and i think i might lean towards using the tripod more if it was easier and then could then also maybe use the tripod and the camera on my own, right? Use it for if I'm taking photos with the dogs and not need a third person. I think we've answered the last two questions we have here. Yeah. But just as a little short question, I know you said you were going to answer these rapid fire, but then I asked you so many more questions. So here's the last couple of questions. How do you edit for colorful photos? There are, in most editing programs, two sliders that you can use for color. One is saturation. The other is vibrance. 
As far as I know, the biggest difference is saturation will bring up all of the colors and vibrance will do a version of bringing up the colors that prioritizes skin tone remaining natural. So the thing I will say for both of those sliders is to not bring it all the way. You never want to go to 100%. If you bring it up, it can sometimes make the colors too deep and make your photo look too contrasted, in which case you want to bring up the shadows a little bit and brighten it up. If you're trying to make more colorful photos, you can bring up the saturation. And if you can add some things into the photo, into the frame that have some color, if your dog is a bit of a neutral color, that can just add some pop. So we often have the girls dressed in colorful clothing and I feel like that helps us. But if we're out on a walk in fall and we find a a pile of leaves, that can help us. (laughs) Or green grass or blue sky, these things can... Bring color to your profile. Yeah. Lastly here, it was how do you stay still or how does your dog stay still when the camera comes out? So I think we really answered this one. Yeah, it's about training before. I'm honestly going to say there is not much you can do if you get into a photo shoot and your dog... Is not having it. Is not having it. Other than don't reward the bad behavior. Make sure they are not doing anything you don't want when you give them the treat or the reward, whether that's attention or whatever. Right. That so. you, you just have to like hold your ground and yeah. not give in to them if they're doing something wrong. Like jumping at your camera and putting paws on the lens mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So you just can't reward that behavior because in the long run, they're going to learn that's what it is that gets them the reward and they're going to keep doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is everything that we wanted to talk about. Yeah. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And we'll chat soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Iggy Parents. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, we'd love if you left us a review. Five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help us get discovered by new Iggy parents and dog lovers alike. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening or wherever podcasts are found. Our new vlog is going up on YouTube featuring Phoebe's journey through puppyhood. Don't miss out on every pup date by subscribing to our newsletter at theiggyparents.com slash newsletter. As always, this podcast is brought to you by The Iggy Parents Shop. If you're looking for another way to support what we do here, check out our merch at theiggyparents.com slash shop. And don't forget to connect with us on Instagram by sharing your thoughts with us and your friends. Tag at the Iggy Parents, at Iggy Adelaide, and now you can even reach us at Iggy Phoebe. Bye for now from Ryan, Jess, Adelaide, and Phoebe. <laughs>